The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and we're going to continue our discussion uh, about, um, well, looking at uh, 1 Corinthians. Well, you know, I did that the last time, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, for First Thessalonians, mm-hmm. and uh, try to, uh, well, we're just, uh, rather than say that we're going to try to finish chapter 5, because uh, we're not getting but more than a couple of verses verses right. so far. Right. We're just going to continue going through these verses because there is so much there. And then uh, we're going to continue our discussion about the relationship as it relates to siblings. So let's uh, jump in with uh, the Christ factor and jump into First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. So we left off last week, uh, basically chapter 5, verse uh, 14, or thereabouts. And we were talking about, we were talking about the fact that uh, uh, now uh, we exhort you, brethren, to warn those uh, that are unruly. And so we were talking about unruly. And then we kind of, the, the, the whole of the verse says, warn those that are unruly, comfort uh, the faint-hearted, and uphold the weak, and so we didn't we didn't really touch on uh, uh, comforting uh, the faint-hearted or upholding the weak. But 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 Josh, uh, at the conclusion of what we were talking about, indicated that he believed that the uh, that the two of them, the uh, warning the unruly, and and uh, upholding the faint-hearted. Uh, were related. Did you want to expand just a touch bit on that more? How you think they're related? Um, <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> you caught me by surprise. Uh, I'm. Uh, I think it was lazy. Is what 
I think yeah, yes, you were equated with lazy. Yes. Yeah, I was saying that lazy and unruly are essentially the same thing. I think that's is that what you're talking about? Yeah. The it's undisciplined, like in the military, and so you could say that somebody is lazy because they're not wanting to be disciplined. Um, right, and you were you were talking about the fact that uh, the uh, in the Greek, uh, faint-hearted and lazy uh, can be related. Right, they come from essentially the same the, the same, same root. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and of course, so uh, the faint-hearted is not a term that we use nowadays that often. Yeah. Um, and you know, basically, what it means is, uh, well, it's kind of it. It's it's. Have you ever seen a wilting flower? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it, it's kind it's kind of like it's kind of like a wilting flower. That you know, when somebody is uh, under pressure, or they're confronted, or rather than have a, a backbone and stand firm, they just kind of they just kind of wilt. Yeah, and that that's the that's the the picture of what's being stated here. And so we are told that we are to uh, encourage right those that are faint-hearted to encourage those that have difficulty in standing their ground, uh, and to uh, encourage them that they be not. Um, faint-hearted that they not that they not do that but that they stand firm uh, particularly uh, obviously the apostle paul is talking about uh, in the things of the lord um so um and then so then he goes on to say you know be patient uh, with all so obviously when you're dealing with uh when one who is unruly they don't just become uh, not unruly overnight right and the same thing when you're dealing with see, see because part of part of what you're dealing with is you're dealing with uh, behaviors that that uh, are are it's, see it's complicated so you're dealing with people that that have personalities which are given one way or the other to a uh, a particular way of how they handle things but you've also got uh, behaviors which are ingrained over time. Yeah, and they're not necessarily specific to personalities either. No, but they're but, the pers- but, the, but individuals do have characteristics, right? And those things gear people toward being more bold or less bold, yes. depending on what it is. And I think boldness is the is what we're looking for in this passage. Is yes. is you know that um, because we're talking specifically about uh, leaders in this area, and so like there's this quality of leadership. Um, that all Christians are supposed to have, not that they're all supposed to have a, a flock, um, but, you know, we are all called to make disciples. And so there's this boldness. Um, we're also called to teach. We're also called to baptize. So there's a there's an actualization of our faith where faith is meant to be lived out. It's not just knowledge that we're supposed to have, but we're supposed to go into the world with the knowledge and live it out. And that requires boldness. And oftentimes what you come across is Christians who... Um, recoil, so that would be faint-hearted. Ooh, who are undisciplined, so they, um, so their boldness becomes foolishness, um, and they need to have a certain care given to them. Um, and patience is at the heart of that. Patience meaning long suffering. Right, because you, because <laughs> because they're not going to change. Likely, they're not going to change those behaviors overnight. It can happen. Like it God, can. God, God can can, can do that a miracle. Yeah, but yeah. I, so there are people who are more bold by nature, and they tend to be the ones who are 
the unruly ones, uh, right. which is really, again, which is really, pe- I mean, people won't like this, but if you're unruly, then it really means that you're lazy in your discipline. Um, so the the more bold ones are that way, and then the less bold ones, they tend to um, re- recoil, and what they need is they need confidence boosting. Right. Um, in all in in all of those cases, it requires patience on the part of uh, Christians with each other, despite um, despite personality or behavior. And I think that's what you were getting at is yes. that there are certain behavioral traits that um, people pick up despite personality. Yes, and 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 oftentimes people um, develop mechanisms. As they grow older, people develop mechanisms, and what I don't mean—I don't mean old like me. I mean as they grow through their teenage years and they grow into adulthood, uh, people develop m- mechanisms as to how it is that they're going to approach certain circumstances. Right. And and when you're talking about the process of one conforming to the image of Christ, which we are called to do in Scripture. Um, that means that we have to take a, a not a passive role, but an active role in looking at those behaviors or those mechanisms to determine whether they're, um, you know, whether they're productive in accomplishing what we want to. Yeah, and and it has to be clear that those behaviors um, are like anybody and their um, personalities or even their spiritual giftings are capable of having inappropriate behaviors when it comes to, to life. There, there are Christians who are predisposed to being bold, for instance, but they've developed behaviors uh, which make them not bold or ineffective in their boldness. So yeah, it's not, so behavior is a, is a whole nother thing. When we look at it in terms of counseling, we think of it as uh, like an iceberg, right? And so you have like the perspective issues, which is more personality and how we deal with things. And then you have the behavior, the patterned issues, the way that we think about things. Right. Then you have the performance issues, which is how we actuate the way that we think about things. Right. And then we have the presentation issues, which is how it looks, like how other people perceive our performance which is informed by our patterns, which is informed by our personality. Right. So all of those create um, our sort of profile of a problem that needs to be dealt with. And everything is a, is, I don't want to call it a, not everything is a problem, but everything is uh, a, something to take victory over. Well, my point is, is yes, I agree. And my, my point is, is that there are a lot of believers uh, my observation is there are a lot of believers that um, are passive in how it is that they approach these issues in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I want I want the pastor to feed me. I want people to be tolerant of me. I want, uh, you know, I know these behaviors aren't productive, but I can't do anything about it because I'm me. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, and you just go through this list of excuses, and yet Scripture clearly tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that those things which are not productive in how we conform to Christ, that He be glorified, those things need to be actively worked on, and we just can't be passive about it. 
Well, those people need to read Romans chapter 6. I was uh, <laughs> studying Romans chapter 6 with my family the other day. And, uh, you know, it's that famous passage where, where previously Paul is talking about how grace abounds, you know, when, right. we, when we sin, right? right? And then he starts off the passage by saying, so then shall we sin mm-hmm. so that grace may abound? Certainly not. And then this whole treaties about how we're dead to sin because of baptism and, and, you know, salvation in Christ and all of this. And so therefore we should not live enslaved to our thought processes, but, you know, but to, to Christ. And I think that that treaties goes on for six chapters. So I, I think that what you're looking at there is, is really like when people are not being bold in their faith, that means they're not being committed to God. Now, this is not to say that everybody has to actuate or um, or uh, perform or present as if they're bold, but their thought patterns must be bold and their perspective must be bold. Right. And so it's going to look different with everybody, but I think you can be meek, which is power under control, right? Right. You can be meek as a Christian. Um not, you know, swinging your sword everywhere and trying to get everybody riled up. You can you can be meek as a Christian but still be bold. And certainly we've we we see that in scripture even even in the prophets there's Elisha who had a double helping of Elijah's power. Right. But he wasn't nearly as bold. No. Um in his in his performance and his presentation. Yeah, in fact, he was he had to be encouraged uh, because he was timid. Yeah. So it, it's, it doesn't, so don't get me wrong when I say that like there's a sinful thought process when people aren't bold in their faith. I'm not trying to say that. Don't say Pastor Josh is saying that. I'm saying that the, I, what I'm saying is that at our perspective and our, um, our thought patterns, we need to have a bold approach that can work itself out in meekness though. So, and you know, that's going to be standing on simple truths. Right. And, and, and I like the fact that you, you, you bring it back to uh, where Paul is coming from in Romans chapter 6 because, because that is, remember that uh, two years ago, we started uh, going through a whole series of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And at the center of that, we started at that point mm-hmm. because the believer needs to intellectually recognize the steps that were taken and where they are in those steps. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't forget that. And so that, that needs to become your driving force. Right. You know, and, and many believers have difficulty with that, either because they are uh, ignorant of the steps that they took, which is so sad, or um, they have uh, grown tired. Yeah. And they've just gotten lazy. Well, and that's the term here, right? Unruly, lazy. Yes. So, yeah. Okay, so moving on, uh, it says, See that nobody render evil for evil to anyone, mm-hmm. but always pursue that which is good, both for yourselves and for all. So, you know, the, that's a uh, hot button theology in this day and age well it is there's the tendency to want to get even with people or or uh, you know when when i was in the military we didn't uh, the going thing on board ship was not that you uh, get even but that you get ahead yeah 
And, and uh, what scripture is saying is that, you know, evil is evil. And you should not render evil for evil. And that's, that's a difficult one because that, that runs contrary to, that runs contrary to secular nature or to, to biblical, it runs contrary to the spiritual as to who we are. And, and so it's a, it's a, it's a reverting back to self because we believe that self has been injured yeah, and we want to protect self and justify the fact that we've been injured. And uh, here, the admonition by the apostle Paul is, "Don't do that." Well, it it really carries itself out right now in like Western identity politics, right? Because this is this verse runs dab smack in the middle of, um, you know, dividing rightfully dividing the concept of uh, critical theory. Yeah, yeah. Well, look. I mean, not not to you know, get overly political, but look at some of the stuff that is going on right now by far left, philosophically far left individuals in regard to President Trump. I mean, they want to destroy him in every possible way they can. Now, this is not. And some people say, well, this is a new phenomena in. American politics, and while there may be an element of that that is true, if you go back in history and you look at Egypt, for example, um, and many of you may not know your history well enough to know this, but it was not uncommon for um, those that came into power to go in and to destroy uh, the statues of those that came before them. Yeah, well, and in conquering, even in conquering nations, too, and things like that. But, yeah, in this cancel culture, in, in particular, is, right. an, is an outworking of the opposite of this mentality. Right. Right? Like, we, well, like you said, like, in the, in the Navy, when, when you were in the Navy, it was like, we don't get even, we get ahead. That is basically the, the like, Let's look at the uh, like the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Right. Right. Like the the ideology. The um... now again, let me be clear. There's a difference between the organization and the idea. So, like the idea that Black Lives Matter is is different than the organization of Black Lives Matter and the agenda of Black Lives Matter. Those are two different things, um, which is one of the reasons why it, it's just a geniusly named <laughs> organization. Because it really conflates the issue. Um, but well, let me just say that, and of course, the the philosophy is Black Lives Matter uh, falls flat on its face when you say to them, "Well, all lives matter," because all lives do matter. Well, that's the issue with Black Lives Matter is that when you say that, you're not addressing the movement; you're addressing the idea that Black Lives Matter, but they don't want. To, oh, I know that. Yeah, I know that's, that's not, not what they want. Well, that's not what it means. Yeah, no, it's, it's the. But, but your point is, BLM is, is about BLM is not about the idea of Black Lives Mattering. It's it's a movement itself that lifts up any sort of uh, that that takes the that that takes the idea of oppression, critical theory, right, and applies it to race. Right. So. And and basically the outworking of that is is that we try to get ahead when we've been oppressed, and that means basically oppressing, but in their mind justifiably 
anybody that's oppressed them. And right. that goes against what the scripture says. So the scripture is very, very clear that we are to pay back evil, that we are to pay back evil to no one. Right. Like, do not pay back evil. That's the thing. And it's the, um, this concept of forgiveness is, is in there that we are to, um, Again, I go back into this word study I've, I've been doing um, with my family. But the, the concept of forgiveness is it, it's two words, to forego giving. And what are we giving? Well, it's the just due. It's the wages of somebody's sin, right? Right. So what we forego giving is what people have actually earned, which is the wages of, of their sin. And so in terms of this type of ideology, when we're giving back to somebody what they deserve— we're actually going against what God does to us. Right. Which, which is demonstrated in Christ. Which is that he doesn't cross, give yes. us what we deserve. Right. He gives us grace, which is literally what we do not deserve. Right, because the Apostle Paul calls Jesus Christ the, the payment for our sins. Right. He takes, he takes it off of us and then takes it away. Right. Those two particular things. So we have this burden that's on us. And it has to be lifted off of us and then not just held over us like, look, I can put this back on you at any time. But it, then it has to be taken away from us. And those those thought processes are involved in the concept of forgiveness. So, But there's no forgiveness in the idea that we pay back to people the evil that they've done to us. And that goes smack in the opposite of what Christ did for us. I don't know how anybody could claim to be a Christian and then hold that we're supposed to pay back equal to or worse than the what somebody has done to us. And and if you talk to people, if if you have opportunity to talk to people who are dead set upon uh, vengeance and upon paying back evil for evil, um Oftentimes, uh, more often than not, the response that they have when they have had the opportunity to do that is uh, that of uh, being unsatisfied and emptiness. Yeah. You know, because the, the, the yeah, idea... Yeah, it's always hungry. Yeah, the, there's a mental process that says, yeah, it would just be good to, to let that person have, you know, what they deserve. And I'd like to be the one to give it to them. But when you actually go through that, um, you feel empty and like you really didn't accomplish anything. Right. And, and so the admonition from the Apostle Paul is don't do that. Just don't do that. Recognize that in Christ, uh, we all have value. And in Christ, uh, we are to ascribe to those things which uplift the Lord. And uh, evil for evil is, uh, is not in the character of God. And it's interesting that it's interesting that what we look at here is this statement of always try to do good to each other, right? Yes. That's interesting just from the standpoint of the the warning and the urging to not be lazy, to not be unruly because it does take discipline. It is outside of our human sinful corrupted nature to to not pay back what is, you know, to not give to a person what they've earned. And so I think oftentimes we like when somebody has wronged us, our thought process is, well, that person earns it. Or uh, another way of saying it is they deserve it. Right. Uh, but what Paul is saying here is, yeah, of course they deserve it. But 
all of us deserve it. Yeah, should should we should we all but get what we deserve? Right. And then he's saying at all times. So that means you must be disciplined on every little thing no matter what a person deserves. You treat them as God would treat them, which is while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Yes. While yeah. we were yet sinners, meaning we did not deserve death of the death of Christ, the propitiation of Christ taking away from us uh you know, forgiving us, but what we deserved is death. And it takes Christians to be disciplined and not be lazy thinking that they can get away with it because, you know, this one time, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe this one time I'm going to give to somebody what they deserve. Um, And then he's very clear on that, that we do it to all people. So that means that uh, there's no distinction there about oppressed and oppressor. Right, right. And and what and what you see here that is him contrasting, uh, don't repay evil for evil, but pursue good. Yeah. And so he's making a contrast between the two. I'm not just telling you don't do this, but I'm saying be actively participating in pursuing good. And not just good, but good for, for the person yes. that has wronged you. Right. And. And that takes that takes some work. So it doesn't just take restraint on your part and discernment on your part to recognize, you know, discernment to recognize what's going on that a person because we're not saying that Paul or Paul is not saying that you should just um, turn a blind eye or dismiss what's going on. He's saying, no, these people deserve it, but you need to be discerning enough and then controlled enough to not give them back what they deserve. And then on top of it, you need to be proactive enough and have enough in your, let's call it, emotional storehouse to then give them what you have of God's grace, extend that to them and give them, you know, not only what the, basically to give them what they don't deserve. It's right. twice over you're wronged in that process, just right. like God was wronged twice over, right? We wronged him when we sinned and then we wrong him uh uh, when Christ died on the cross, he was wronged again because he was innocent, taking the blame for right. our sin. So right. we wrong him by sinning, and then we wrong him again. And that's what you're you're doing when you are you're saying, okay, you've wronged me, and I accept that, and I forgive you. And now I'm going to be wronged again by giving you more. Right. And so, and 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 so, if you think about that, all. I mean, that is just an enormous amount of, uh, that's enormous amount of pressure that is put upon the believer to, to, um, to do that if, because, again, it runs contrary to what the world, what we're surrounded with in the world. And it goes but, against our, our sin-corrupted nature. Yes, but remember, we are set up, so our sin nature is dead, and we are to be set apart for God. In in praise God <laughs> that uh, we we're not alone. Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, in, that can help us to be able to. If we were trying to accomplish this on our own, I mean, it would it would be so difficult. Well, it's, I think there's a scripture that says it's impossible except without God. It is impossible except without God. The and I'm sure we'll talk about this next time. Maybe it's a good segue, but yes. it's interesting that then the very next verse, after saying all of this, you need the discipline, you need all of these things, you're going to get wronged multiple times in doing this. All of these implications. The very next verse is always be joyful. Mm-hmm. 
and pray and everything. And so, so I'm sure we'll talk about yeah, that. Yes, we will. Let's go ahead and end this segment uh, today uh, right here. And that's our cue to go into our next segment, which is um, uh, we're talking about uh, relationship. And we're going to be talking about the dynamics of relationship uh, as we, as believers, as we approach uh, life. And, uh, and what we talked about originally when we began looking at this as a subject is that it's a whole lot broader and deeper than most people think. And it affects uh, all of us in one form or another. And we've tried to start out the we started out at the most basic of relationships, which is the fact that we are created by God, and we have the characteristics of our Creator within us. And one of those characteristics, very elementary to who we are and who He is, is that we are a relational. And so last week we were talking about the relationship uh, that we see in Scripture that exists between siblings. And this is a challenging relationship because of the fact that, uh, and that's not to say that we don't see, uh, that, that we don't have a path given to us, which we'll talk about today. But everything that we have in Scripture, which, which is a vision into the relationship that existed between siblings uh, both in the Old Testament and somewhat in the New Testament, for example, with Mary and Martha, uh, although not to that extreme, is um, is difficult. Yeah, I, the only the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head that is positive it has to be inferred in the Book of James, specifically in the opening of the Book of James, which is shameless plug. Um, what I'm covering in my heart scribe study. Yeah, I saw that. So if you want to check out a, like an in-depth, like verse by verse in-depth study on the book of James, we just posted the the intro to the book of James, but specifically in James 1.1, I literally spend the entire time talking about how James introduces himself um, not as the brother of Christ. Right. Um, but instead as the servant of Christ, which is interesting because he's the brother of Christ. Right. So... Yeah, highly highly recommended. James is a is a wonderful book to become familiar with, um, for a number of reasons. You know, it 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 it, it barely got into the uh, yep, into recognized the canon. canon of scripture because uh, the there were many who believed that it ran contrary to uh, the Pauline epistles. And Paul is just that good. Right, but it but it does not run contrary, and it's a great study. So yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can tune into that, I would recommend you do so. Yeah, and that particular episode, James one one, will be not this Saturday, but the Saturday afterwards. Good. So, so we left off talking a little bit last week about just the difficulty that we see uh, with siblings dealing with each other, and in particular. Um, the difficulty that is there because of uh, family, because of uh, um, because of structures within family, because of perceived uh, um, hurts or injustices that took place inside a family, um, there can be a lot of things which drive siblings apart. Right. So, 
how so so the question then begets itself and and i guess what we're trying to do is we're trying to recognize that the it is a it is a difficult subject i mean i would i would have to say and particularly because then as you grow older and each individual within the family unit then develops their own personality develops their own characteristics develops how it is that they deal with things uh, which may be miles apart from the way their sibling does things. Yep, it becomes a very, a, a very real challenge then, uh, sometimes to have civility amongst uh, siblings. Yep, and and so and, and uh, to be honest with you, there's not very many. In fact, I can only think, <laughs> I can only think of one. There's, there's not very many there's not very much programming that exists in the media today which uh which shows that struggle in a positive light yeah i can only think of one program what are you thinking of i'm thinking of blue bloods oh like the brotherhood of the 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 they're all cops or in law enforcement in some way or another and and you've got uh, you've got uh, the patriarch. So you've got one, two, three. You've got four generations represented. Yeah. And it's just you know, so they they don't always agree with each other. There's still tension. Yeah. But they make an effort to try to uh, come together. In this case, over a family meal every week. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Blue Bloods is a show for old people on CBS, <laughs> uh, starring an old person's manly um, man, Tom Selleck. I would say it's for mature people. That's one way to put it. <laughs> He's a beautiful man, Tom Selleck is. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, the old, the original Magnum P.I., for those of you who don't know, Magnum P.I., for those of you who do know, has also been rebooted on CBS, but it's still for old people. Yeah. Um, CBS about to become Paramount Plus. Just letting you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I would agree with you. There are some, there are some good shows. Now we're getting sort of into the culture insanity side, but there are some shows that display the broader sense of family pretty well, like the non biological sense of family. I think um, Cobra Kai comes to mind. Which is a revisiting. See, of, I haven't seen the reboot. You got to watch it. It's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, which is a revisiting of the Karate Kid, right? Uh, universe, I guess. Um, but generally, you kind of have to go back in time to find like real fam, like good family dramas. Like right now, I'm watching Boy Meets World with my right with my kids. That um, is going back in time. Yeah, well, it's the 1990s. You know, yeah. so. So anyway, so uh, so my point being that that um, while there are a few uh, multimedia programs that are out there that kind of extol the uh, the uh, importance of family and and how siblings can deal with uh, each other in a positive way, there's not a whole lot out there. So as believers, how do we approach this? Because because there, we are encouraged. We we still need to be encouraged that at this very root level, there is a uh, there is this uh, this relationship that that we can't get away from. That your sibling is always going to be your sibling, 
Now, in in Jewish culture, if you really offended the family a great deal, you would just be uh, you'd be exiled. Yeah, in the ancient Jewish culture. Yeah, and and uh, and that's not uh, that's not a preferred method, uh, but I will I will tell you. I mean, just from my own, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family, mm-hmm. and uh, even. Even today, although my, uh, you know, I'm, I try to be amiable with my siblings, but uh, I have I have one sibling uh, uh, that uh, he has nothing to do with me. Yeah, and I have another sibling that um, she, well, she's just kind of off on her own. Right, and you know, she'll still she still talks to me uh, occasionally if she has a need. But we have, I would say, little or no relationship. So I, this is not something that I'm just, I mean, I'm trying to be real here, that uh, my, my attempt at uh, transparency, as it were, that, that the, this is a subject which all of us deal with the one form or another. I will say this, however, that, um, I, you know, I married into a family that, um, you know, they have... Uh, they still have their dysfunction in regard to the uh, quirks that siblings develop as they grow up, but they still are close to each other. Well, I think that what it comes down to a large, a large degree of how siblings are going to navigate their biblical relationship to each other will come down to what the, the core of the family is based around. So if the family sees itself as um, basically a social contract, then that's going to create children who view their relationship with each other as social contract. And they're going to, you know, they're only going to trust each other as far as they can throw that other person. Right. And unfortunately... Which as you get older is more and more difficult. Well, and then unfortunately, (laughs) because you live with these people, you know their ins and outs, and that makes them the most ugly people in the world because... That's what happened. Like you realize that people are the because when you have that view of people that you're only going to use them, that you're basically going to use them, um, you know, you you really don't value them. And so they just become uh, commodities and what they have is the only thing that's there. And so you you tend to objectify people and, you know the more you spend time with this thing that you've been using this way, the more you see how it has all these flaws. So then your siblings become like basically the worst things, um, maybe next to your parents. Uh, so, and I'm sorry, that's a really like, which uh, we're going to discuss at a, in a later podcast. That's a really dark view. <laughs> that's a really dark view, but I also try to be, you know, realistic. And I think the truth is, is that many Christians, have unfortunately made their family um, into a social contract. Like, you know, uh, they don't value them on the basis of being made in the image of God. They value them on the basis of um, their blood or right. or even what they give to the family. You see that right. a lot in Christian families. Like, if you are not giving to the family in this way, then you have no value um, to the family. And there's, there's a baseline with Christians that needs to be, um, 
that needs to be stated. Now, that's not to say that you can't say, like, this is what the family is, this is what the family does, and you can choose whether you want to adhere to that. Right. That line needs to be drawn also. I think scripture is really clear about that, like, with the Jewish nation, um, and, you know, makes it really clear what it is to be a part of a family. But that being said, like you have to have a baseline of relationship, productivity, and value being found in God. And if you put it in anything else, then it just becomes social contract, and people will hate each other and get rid of each other and hurt each other in the process. Families that are based on that have siblings that treat each other that way. Um, yeah, yeah so, so we're going to approach this from a couple of different standpoints. So, um, so first of all, very important, as Josh just indicated, that the, the believer... Um, lives by a different standard. Yeah. And the believer, and this goes back to, to so much of what we see happening with, uh, with cancel culture and with uh, many of the movements that are out there today that, um, you know, they want to have value in gender. They put value in race. They put value in all these different things yep. that uh, actually have no value. What is of value, not compared to not yeah, compared, not compared to, what, to God's not compared to what is of value yeah. that we are created in the image of God. Right. And we have value not because of our skin color or what language we speak or the culture we come from or whether we're male or female or we're not that that's not where we get our value. We get our value from the fact that we are created by God. Yeah. And he's the one that gives us value as his creation. Therefore, we have value. And, and the believer needs to begin the process in regard to relationships of understanding that. Now, two things happen. If you have, a, if you have Christian parents who bring up children, um, then this should be a part of the, the ongoing uh, structure of how that family unit should operate. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have issues that you're going to have to learn how to deal with. And certainly as children grow older, uh, there, are, there are things that have to be navigated. Yeah. But at the core of that is the understanding that every member of the family unit has value because God gives them that value. Right. So, and, and so that's, so for the believer, so we'll take it the simple way for the, the family that, uh, is uh, constructed of those that, uh, are disciples of Christ and to de desire to live in that fashion, those differences that exist between siblings then, um, need to be understood within our relationship to Christ. Yeah. And so even th even though uh, I may not like the way that my sibling does things, even though I may b be miles apart uh, as far as uh, my, my worldview or my talents or my abilities or, or even how I thought I was raised, don't get me wrong, inside of uh, Christian families, there are still children that have been subjected to uh, favoritism. Mm -hmm. There are children who still uh, recoil uh, at the idea that uh, one sibling is better than the other in how they were raised. 
and those things uh, don't go away. Yeah. And so they become ingrained in who a person is, and that can carry over to the uh, relationships uh, that are exist as adults. Now, the thing is, is that because you are disciples of Christ, you have a, a, a bridge point where you can begin to work through some of the issues that... Uh, that may be there that need that exist and are, are causing conflict. And, and again, we go back to what we were talking about earlier, the fact that there, there are many believers that are simply just lazy mm-hmm. and they don't want to participate in that. Well, they think that their family has its own rules. Right. Right. I mean, you've been raised a certain way and this is the way that you behave in church with, church people but let's not do that here in the home we have our own rules right and of course god wants us to take care of the home so you know we get we get to have our own rules and that's they're lazy but by choice oftentimes yeah and in and the reality of it is which we might call rebellious yes and the the reality of it is is that what needs to be remembered by by th- those siblings that are in this situation where they come out of a, a, a uh, and I'll use this in quotes because you know I hate the term Christian, but uh, a, a Christian family, those that are disciples of Jesus Christ, if you come out of that and you have become a disciple of Christ, meaning that you have had your own experience with Jesus Christ, not that you've, uh, not that you've accepted what your parents believe, right? But that personally, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are then a member of the body of Christ, right? And what governs you and how you act is not what happened years before when you were brought up. Right. But you are a member of the body of Christ, and first and foremost, your obligation is to work through with your sibling then because you are both members of the body of Christ you are to work through with your sibling issues that may exist as members of the body of Christ yeah and what helps is if parents have enough forethought to teach their children to interact with each other on that basis in the beginning yeah it, unfortunately definitely. unfortunately what we have is a lot of christians who've grown up together, who have to, as they enter maturity, translate their relationship with their brothers and sisters into a completely new language that's foreign to them because their family has taught their own specific, um, almost cult-like... Yeah, a, uh, a culture within a culture, yes. Yeah, well, it's and it's very much, like, if you think about it, like, um, lots of families basically run, like, little cults. You know, they basically have a leader in the in the father or the mother. They have a very specific uh, way of um, they have like a a, an additional doctrine that's added on to the Bible. And I'm talking about within Christian families. Lots of Christian families operate as if they're cults. You know, you can't leave this. You have to always be in it. You you can't talk about what goes on inside the family. The father usually is the undisputed um, vehicle by which uh, truth happens. 
um, you know, we get to dictate your every action and in life and so on and so forth. And I know that that may sound controversial. Sorry, it's the truth. Um, a lot of families are more cult like than even some religions. Um, watch Yellowstone. Uh, so in any case, um, but I think if we were to, if we as Christians were to teach our children that, that the family is an incubator for the biological family is an incubator for the real world and were to teach them to interact with each other in the real world where the language they use is that of disciples and the thought process is that of disciples, then they can become grateful for each other. Um, and they don't have to translate that later on in life. Right. And I think that's, you see that, you see that played out specifically in the story of, uh, Jacob and Esau, where, you know, it was kind of dog eat dog. And that's kind of the way they did things. And it was only later in life that they were able to, um, they both connected to each other on the basis that God had blessed each of them. Unfortunately, that, you know, they, they were still distant from each other, but at least there was reconciliation there on the basis that God was blessing them. And I think when we, when we view each other as blessings, uh, and we view life as God working itself, God working himself out in that way in our lives and wanting us to think of things that way. It's going to be very different than if we have to provide for all of our blessings. Again, like social contract theory. Right. So as as believers, the 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 sibling who then is within the body of Christ. That means that all of the admonitions, like what we see, like what we've talked about earlier in the Christ factor, all the admonitions which are present in Scripture about the maturity of the believer mm -hmm. applies to siblings as well. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus Christ, it, it, Jesus Christ said, how will, how will the world know that, that you are mine, but that you love one another? Right. And that is to be a love which is of God in uh, agape in particular um, means that, that your love is as such that you interact with somebody according to what is best for them. Right, which goes back to... Which goes back to the fact that, you know, the self is dead and your desire is to so so if remember if self is dead one of the reasons why siblings have so much issue is because uh, they feel that uh, they've been offended in one form or another right but if self is dead then yourself can't be offended well, I was thinking it specifically goes back to First Thessalonians five, where it says, "Do good to everybody." And exactly. Well, yes. What we discovered, and it's funny because a lot of people literally think, "Do good to everybody, except for my siblings, except. who I want to kill." <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, so for the for the believer, then for the disciple of Christ, if your brother or sister is also a believer, a disciple of Christ, then you are to approach them. Uh, under the same bounds of grace and love that you extend to other members of the body of Christ. Right. And, and you are to be then praying for them, that, uh, that they mature. You are to be, um, you are to be uh, recognizing, which we, would we can talk about in a different way, but you... you <laughs> 
excuse me. You need to be recognizing their value comes from who they are in Christ, that they, uh, and so their gifts, their abilities, how they've developed as an individual, um, you know, all of those things uh, need to be given value. Yes. Because Christ values them. Because their goal is to bring glory to Christ, and they are to be treated in that same way. Well, and if you aren't valuing them that way, but instead are valuing them based upon the wages of their sins, which will be plenty because they grew up around you. Right. And right? you know what they are. And you know what they've done. I know you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then then you are in rebellion. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. You're in rebellion against God if you value people that way. And we are we are not to do that. So yeah, um, that's that's how the 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 sibling uh, who is a believer uh, is to interact with uh, their siblings as well. And uh, you know we understand that there's a tall order. We understand that that uh, you need to that uh, it takes a great deal of participation. So uh, you need to um, you need to establish a relationship where you're able to. Um, you may need to establish in your relationship uh, some talking about uh, about uh, issues which uh, uh, were in the past. Sure. Things that uh, you grew up with that uh, that maybe were never resolved um, as uh, as uh, children, but now you are adults. I there's a there's a <laughs> this this song applies. In so many ways to adult, uh, uh, but, but I'll apply it here. Uh, there's a great song by uh, Garth, that Garth Brooks sings about uh, burying the hatchet, but leaving the handle sticking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it goes, again, it goes back to that concept of forgiveness being that we take off the burden and we take it away. Well, you know the the it, it, yes, and when you do a word study of the concept of of forgiveness applied to uh, you know to the Romans, in mm-hmm. when when a when a Roman uh, prisoner was put into prison, it's not that they were just put into prison, but there was a uh, a, a parchment that was hung on their cell. Yep, and the parchment described their crime. Right, like many people don't realize that when Jesus died on the cross, there was a parchment at the top of his cross, and it stated what his crime was. Yeah, Jesus um, Nazarenus Rex Deorum. Yeah, he believed he was the king. Yep, and and uh, which which the Romans would view as is as, as uh, insurrection. Well, but it was yeah maybe because it was like the it actually Rex Deorum. King of the Jews. Yes. So it's like that's not really. In, I think that they were, they were saying that that was the crime he was being accused of. But they had a king like the Jewish king Herod, right? Right. So anyway, that, anyway, that's okay. Whole thing. So so, um, but a parchment was put on the cell indicating what the crime was, uh, and and uh, and when when the payment had been made and it had been made there were for example uh, you would be uh, you would be um, uh, inscribed to the salt mines yeah and you would have to work in the salt mines you know so your your punishment is you're going to work 10 years in the salt mines right 
So if you survived that at the end of 10 years, you know what they would do? They would not only say that you, you've paid your debt to society, but they would give you the parchment. Yeah. And that meant that it would, your debt was paid and it was no more. Right. And that's what forgiveness really means. It means that that debt that is there, it exists no more. Yeah. It's taken off and taken away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't exist at all. So, um, and many siblings could benefit from that understanding because oftentimes uh, they will drag up things uh, that happened when they were kids. Well, see, the biblical, I think the biblical call here is to not spend, not spend so much time on why, you know, like, why did you do this to me? Sure, sure. Well, yeah, and I, the answer to that and, question. If and you're, I don't do white questions. If you're so. a Christian, like if you are a Christian, then you already know the answer to that question. Yeah, you may you, not know the specifics of that question of the of that answer, but you already know the answer to that question. Yeah, you're a sinful little ass. You were there. <laughs> you were there, and. Like if, if I'm going to say to my brother or my sister, you were there and I was sinful. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that, it. Yes. Like that's the answer. Absolutely. It may, there's varying degrees of it and there's specifics of it. But it's like, do you really need to know why? Because now let's deal with the what. What are we going to do with this? Right. What are we right. how are we going to move forward? Yes. And, and, and I just want to say, like, in the admittance of that, why um, you will have to admit it as well, because the because Unless you're Joseph, um, who did nothing wrong. <laughs> he didn't do anything uh, he, wrong. Yeah. According yeah. to scripture, there's nothing wrong. So anyway. No, I, okay. <laughs> unless you're Joseph, like, or perhaps Jesus. Oh, well, definitely. There you go. Definitely, I'll go with that. <laughs> um, like, it's, it's a relationship of, of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, you hurt your siblings. It's part of being human. It's not excusable, It's but but let's not pretend that it's not real. And so any any sibling who thinks that, you know, they're the only ones who got hurt in the process is a sibling who is really inward looking and not really paying attention to the other person. So, Okay, we're going to end uh, this discussion at this point because the next aspect that we're going to talk about is what if you're a sibling who is a disciple of Christ, but yours, but or a person who is a disciple of Christ, but your sibling is not. Yeah, a non-believing. A non-believing. So you have non-believing. An unequally family. yoked family. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Or you might be considered the black sheep because you don't fit within what they're doing. I mean, yeah, sure. You can just. There's a whole bunch of scenarios. So we want to talk about that next. Within there, but the the as 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 believers. We still have set for us in Scripture how we are to conduct ourselves in everything that we do, and that includes our relationships with our siblings. So right. let's close this right here and uh, go into uh, what's up with that. So I only have uh, two um, that I thought were worthy of. Uh, bringing out and sharing this morning just the kind of crazy little things so back let me just ask a question sure. is one of them the bear in the toilet no 
Did, do, you, do you have a bear in the toilet story? Yes, I do. Uh-huh. And I'm surprised that you don't know about it because you're all about these animal what's up with that. So I'll just throw it out there real quick. Uh, two people, they go to a, a, like a cabin in the woods yeah. and it doesn't have plumbing. There's yeah. an outhouse. Right. They, they, it's an outhouse on a hill. And so the a girl goes to the bathroom and then feels something and hears, you know, a growl. She feels like uh, pain, you know, like she'd been bitten. And so she runs away from the toilet and sends sends her, her guy out there to look at it. And he opens up the toilet bowl and sees a bear inside the toilet. Inside the toilet? Yes, inside the toilet. Wow. Well, it turns out that the bear, the outhouse had... Uh, a good place to hibernate. Yeah. It turns out the outhouse on a hill... Had like a like a, a, a cleaning entrance or, or something like yeah. that, and the bear was using it to hibernate. And she didn't get bit; she got swiped. But yeah. still, but that's still, that's, that's you know they talk about snakes in the toilet. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. That's something. <laughs> anyway, that surprised me. You didn't hear about that one. Well, this is kind of along those lines. All right. Um, the, the, but in Tennessee, there was a a, um, a homeowner that was having problems with his gas lines. Mm-hmm. And when the utility workers went under the house in order to figure out how to fix the gas leak, there was a bear hibernating under their house. Wait, so it was a bear also? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was a bear hibernating under the house. So they they called animal control, and animal control kind of woke him up, which is not a good thing. It was the big bear. Uh, it was a mama bear Uh-oh. because they caught they so they kind of woke her up and chased her away and uh, but but what animal control didn't realize in the process is that there were three cubs there as well. So of course mom's coming back. Well, I, I, yes, I don't know because I don't know how they relocated her. So then animal control said, "Well, we chased mom away, so now we're going to have to find." a substitute mom for these three cubs. Now that's my what's up with that. You're so lame in your job that you <laughs> that you separated agreed these uh you know the mama from her cubs yeah. and now you have to find a substitute. That's lame. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but so anyway, so but they got so that's they a got, twofer. They got the bears out and fixed the gas leak and plugged up the hole but yeah, yeah could you imagine, you know? Yeah. Finding a sleeping bear under your house like that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, The other. other I wonder how common that was back in the day. I don't know. This was back in the. uh, Well, it's in Tennessee. So it's in the Appalachians. So, you know, they I mean, there's a lot of animalia back there. But I mean, you know, like back in the day, I wonder how like I wonder how common that was for animals to be. Anyway. You had to find. Well, they're going to find us a place that's cozy and And warm. and, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. So my next one is a little bit interesting just from the standpoint that uh, here's this guy. He's decided that uh, he wants to go uh, play the lottery, so he's going to go buy his favorite scratch-off ticket. Mm -hmm. So he gets about halfway to where he's going, and he uh, realizes that he's about to run out of gas. Hmm. So he turns into a different place than he normally would go, it, to get gas because the ga- the light came on, the idiot light came on saying, you're about to be out of gas. Right. And he, he drove a uh, a Silverado pickup. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, they drink gas like crazy. Mm-hmm. So he pulls into a gas station. He says, well, <laughs> I'm here. I might as well go ahead and buy a lottery ticket while I'm here. Yeah. 
twenty million dollars scratch off. Wow. <laughs> now he was here's the, the he was headed to a different place. Yeah. To his favorite place. Right. To buy a scratch off. So that's no longer his favorite yeah, place anymore. No huh? <laughs> I don't know. But uh yeah, twenty million dollars scratch off hmm. because he paid attention to that idiot light. Yeah, one time, you know, you never know what God's you know, if God has a plan for that sort of thing. So one time me and my wife, we thought to ourselves, Well, you know, if God really wants us to be <laughs> rich, then yeah. you know, it will make it he'll make it happen that way if he wants. So we made a conscious decision to buy a lottery ticket with the decision that if that's not how God wanted us to get rich, then he wouldn't, you know, honor that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so we played the lottery once. We didn't win, and we've never bought a lottery ticket since. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't. I mean, I don't see the, I don't see the sense in it. But hey, you know, a lot of people do. A lot of people religiously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, buy a certain amount of lottery tickets. Now, there were plenty that I didn't bring up as I was doing my research um, of people that uh, won the lottery twice. I was reading about a guy who won... Won twice in, in, uh, within a week's time. Within a week? Yeah. I was reading about a guy who's won like six different times. Yeah, no, this guy won twice lotteries in the, in the hundreds of thousands uh, within, uh, within a week. Of, Interesting. I mean, there are just some people that... To do it well, it's. I wonder if it's algorithm based or yeah, something. I, I have no idea. Um, okay, that's all I got for today. We are at time, and so uh, we hope that you enjoyed uh, this podcast. And uh, Josh is going to take us out. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh, the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon. It's a member of the Vigilance Vigilance Radio Network. Uh, a part of our online ministry over at ABF that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. And if you are one of those who's enjoyed this service that we've got, remember to like, subscribe, share, and hit the notification bell. Um, remember that you can find it on ABF's YouTube page and Facebook, and we have a whole bunch of other shows um, and services for you, including a weekly sermon uh, including a HeartScribe Bible study. We have something for the kids with the Bible with Pastor Adam. Should be a neg screen up. And yes, there's a neg screen up um, showing that stuff. Uh, so you can uh, get involved with all of our content. Feel free to drop us a message if there's anything that you would like um, to see or for us to talk about. So take a second to do that. Remember that you can also uh, donate to us. We don't have a lot of money. But uh, we'll put it to good use if you send it our way. Even a dollar a week would be helpful for us. And it's fine if, you, uh, if you're not rich, if you didn't win the lottery twice in one week. Um, remember that um, we're not rich either. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll be not rich together. Um, remember that our content is shared every Tuesday at 11 a.m. So every Tuesday at 11 a.m., be watching this week for more content on the VRN and um, yeah, share that. I'm Pastor Josh, your senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. <laughs>